Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God. manifold are your works in wisdom have you made them all the earth is full of your creatures here is the sea great and wide which teems with creatures innumerable living things both small and great there go the ships and leviathan which you formed to play in it these all look to you to give them their food in due season when you give it to them they gather it up when you open your hand they are filled with good things when you hide your face they are dismayed when you take away their breath they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Praise the Lord. So God, if we just, as we just enter into worship and to praising you, um, I just ask that whatever we're coming in with, whatever burden, whatever fear or anxiety or doubt, God, that we would know that you not only can handle that, but that you want to handle that. You want to take that from us. So I just ask that we leave that at the altar. God, and that we just come in with purity in our worship, with the understanding that you long to hear us praise you, you long to hear our voices. God, you don't care how good the music sounds or anything, you just want to hear us praise your name. God, just like you filled the sea with creatures and you feed them daily, God, how much more so do you sustain us every day with peace and with kindness, God, with every fruit of the Spirit? I just pray on this Pentecost Sunday that there would just be a fresh outpouring of your spirit. God, that we would feel you in a new way, that there would be a freedom and a peace in our worship. God, and that we would just focus on your throne and focus on who you are. Amen. When the day of Pentecost had come, the disciples were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. 
and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come again and fill us with power? Whatever that looks like, whatever you would like to plant deep in our spirits and our souls, we have open hands to receive what we need to love well because we are an army that is invading a broken world with the love of God. We aren't, we aren't invading with hate. We aren't invading with anger. We aren't invading with division and withdrawn lines. We aren't invading with barricades, but we are invading with the passionate, relentless love of God. And where it is, there is no divide. And where it is, there is no anger and there is no fear. So let us receive power to move forward in the love of God. In Jesus' name, I thank you for this community, for who they are and for how they love well. Jesus, bless us to love more fully and deeply with more grace, with more forgiveness with the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, we're gonna continue. Um, we've been preaching through the book of Mark, and we're in chapter six now, which means that we've traveled through a good amount. And I, I love Mark because when I was in seminary, it was the first time I ever did inductive Bible study. I had to do this book, which means I read it twice all the way through and then created my own divisions and then really dove in. And one of the things you notice about Mark, and we've already noticed, is the pace is rapid. It's like they start off the gate. There's miracles happen. There's demon-possessed people chasing Jesus. There's people showing up at his feet. He starts to do these miracles. He starts to include these people along the way in the journey. And so last week, Kara did a great job, I thought. Please give it up for Kara. She talked through one of the passages that to me has always been a little confusing, but um, encouraging as well, the, the passage about John the Baptist and how he's basically the, the forerunner for Jesus that prepares the way. And then all of the sudden, because of a feast and a whim and somebody just wanting power, he decides to let somebody cut off John the Baptist's head. Not Jesus specifically, but kind of. And basically that's the end of the last chapter. And so it's a little jolting as you start this chapter and... If it were anybody in our community and this happened, especially to somebody who we knew was going after the Lord and preparing the way for people, there would be a season of mourning. There would be, there would be conversation. There would be Facebook posts about it. We, we would want to mount up some type of a something. And you know what I'm saying? And like memory of our, what happens here is a little confusing. And I know that the collection of the stories here are from a group of people passed through given to someone to write. So I know some of these stories are put together like that, but it really goes from, and he's beheaded to basically, guys, you were on a journey and you were doing some work for me. Tell me about it. And there's not really conversations about, and I, I kind of see it like this, and this isn't even what this message is about. I think John did his job. I think he did a good job. I think his life was 100% about Jesus. And so, and I think the stories that he's about to hear from his disciples are because of some of that work. And so it doesn't make sense to us. It wouldn't be our plan for sure. If someone stood up here this week and was like, the Lord told me I was going to be beheaded in a month, but before that, 
that I was going to prepare the way, we would all be like, that's not, that's not Jesus, right? It's definitely not our new Jesus, the one that we've created that removes all the suffering and hardships, right? So I kind of feel like he did his job. He did it well. And he's, like Kara said last week, he's with the Father in heaven. And he's, he's, he's done, well done, right? Like, and for Jesus, I think that's ultimately enough. Because for Jesus, it's not about just making things happen on the spot. Which is why in each of these miraculous stories as he travels through, he kind of gets frustrated at people who focus too much on a sign and forget to see through the sign to Jesus. Because even if someone is healed from the time they're born to the time they die, they're still going to die. And there's still going to be an afterlife. And he's more careful about leading people into that, which I think comes out today in this story. A couple things for the next couple weeks. Um, we're going to be talking about wind and we're going to be talking about hunger. And just for you to know, in this chapter 6, these are two things that can kill you. Um, hunger, we all don't have to search too deeply to know that if you go too hungry, it begins to be starvation, which none of our kids understand. They think they do. They have no clue. And we've all been like, you know how kids in Africa don't eat? And they're like, they don't know that either. They just know that after lunch they need a snack. If they don't get a snack, it's time to freak out. And they don't really understand hunger. But we know. The hungriest I've ever been was when I was on my wayward journey as a teen. And I've told you all before my story about being sent to a rehab. And their, like, in route was two days of not eating. And I was literally seeing pink elephants just for two days. People have fasted in this room longer than that. And we all know, though, that hunger, if taken to extremes, can kill you, right? We also know that wind can kill you, which is crazy. Something just on the earth can kill you. And in the passage that we're going to read next week, you see that the wind is so strong that it starts to turn the waves in such a way that it could kill. So these are, these are topics Jesus uses, these tough spots, hunger and storms, to teach some of his deepest lessons. I think they're actually like signifying marks in people's lives when these hard things come, the lessons that come through them. It doesn't jump from mountaintop to mountaintop in Mark. It's crazy story after crazy story after misunderstanding after misunderstanding. And no one so far really gets it. Not even the disciples understand. And we're still passages away from then having a clue. And so as we start today, I want to read to you Mark chapter 6 verses 30 through 46. You guys can follow along behind me as I read. Verse 30, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them and then ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were all like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples resurfaced, came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away into a surrounding countryside in the villages and buy them something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And, he said, and they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? This is common. Just, like, just think about this interaction. Like, okay, Jesus, you're doing another one of those things where we're clueless. 
and this doesn't make sense. Um, and he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And they had found out, they said, five loaves and two fish. Then he commanded all of them to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And they divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up the 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. It's a lot. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida. While he, was, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on a mountain to pray. So just really quick before I pray. One of the things that jumps off the page to me is my insatiable desire to follow a Jesus that cares about me receiving rest. I think sometimes it's valid. I think sometimes I manipulate it, if I'm just being honest with you. I think sometimes compassion is not present when I need what I need. And I love, to be honest, that he sees that they come back and he looks into their humanness, right? Like, it's not all spirit all the time. He sees that they're tired and they haven't eaten. And he says to them, come away with me to a desolate place that actually is translated a lonely place. And they get into a boat, and they're on their way to a lonely place. It's a five-mile trek across the lake. It's a 10-mile walk, and homeboys beat them there, <laughs> which means they were triathletes or thirsty for another miracle, which is what they were. They were thirsty for power. They still had no clue who he was. They had just heard, this is a man who's doing amazing things. They beat him there. And as they get to their secret place, this isn't even the message, it's just something that they get out to be in their secret place and there's a crowd, right? Like, how relatable is that? How many times have we trekked into our secret place for there to just be a crowd in our mind? That's every secret place adventure I've ever had. I show up, I feel like God's led me there, and then I have to, I have to siphon through all these life things that, and I love... And our, our staff, we, we chew this together during the week. I love that it doesn't mention that Jesus and his disciples start doing this. The disciples resurface later, which means that Jesus took the lead for a while. And that as you go into your secret place, that he's, if he's leading you into that, if you know, and I love a Jesus that wants me to receive rest, that wants me to be full so I can go back out, that he wants you to be whole. That's a good thing, right? Like... Like we've seen throughout history a one or the other gospel where it's either all people all the time, all social justice, all we're going to help, we're going to help, we're going to help, or it's also spiritual and all alone places and secret times and gathering together just to like soak in the, the Jesus that there's, it's like you choose one or the other, but here it's like you need me to be full of me, to be sent by me, and then it's like duplicated over and over. It's like be full, be sent, be full, be sent, be full, be sent. That's, that's convicting to me. Because if he wants to do that, something's in my heart that feels like he doesn't sometimes, and I just, I just rather do work. It just be more comfortable for me to get things done, right? Like being with Jesus totally slows real life down. You know what I'm saying? That's discouraging, but it's a reality for most of us. But that's not even what this is about. I wanted this passage to be about that. It's not about that. It's not at all. But I know that when they showed up on that side of the lake, they were probably very annoyed. And you probably know that by the way that later in the day they come up with an idea for how to feed them. And their idea is a good one. 
It's one that many of us would be like, That's, I'm totally on board with this. Send them into the countryside where they can have food. It's not our job. They're people too, right? Like, go eat, guys. And Jesus is, is like, no. We're going to feed them. And they're like, Jesus, you're a moron again this week. We have nothing to feed them with. And he says, well, what do you have? And he teaches them this lesson, which is also, I don't think, what this passage is about, but it's beautiful, that sometimes what you have is enough. And especially what you have if given over in compassion to those who are in need, like sheep without a shepherd who can't feed themselves, protect themselves, or even understand, that Jesus will stretch that to make it enough. But that's still not what this passage is completely about. So this passage is talking about stories in Genesis. It's talking about stories all throughout the Old Testament. It's pointing back to bread. Jesus shows up. He meets them on the countryside. He hears their need. His disciples say they're hungry. He provides enough food for 5,000 men and then whoever else was there, which was more. And there's leftovers. And Jesus is trying to show them through a sign that I am, not Josh, pointing at him. He's above me, behind me. That's him. I am the bread of life. And what's interesting is in John, if you'll pull this up, verses, chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, it doesn't express this here, but after this happens, they decide this would be a great king. Like, we could call him the, the bread king. Like, the bread king. Can you imagine and this is, what, this is what they say. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed a prophet who has come into the world, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Jesus withdrew again. So I don't even blame these guys. Like, right? They have, so this is what happens. They have this appetite that they would like to overthrow the government. And rightfully so. Government is crude. And, and wrong, and hurting people, and harming people, and you're having to devote yourselves to, to men, and that's not right. And so who else is better than the bread king to come along and be our leader? We will make him be our leader. The tricky part about that is that he doesn't come to us to be lent to our already appetites. See, we, we all approach Jesus, and we have a good idea of how he'll be useful in our lives. Like bread is useful for a meal, but he didn't come to lend himself to an appetite that we already have. It's hard for people. For them, this guy would be a great king. He'd be a great leader. This happens all throughout the book. He could be our David. He could be our destroyer. All the way till you get to the later chapters, and he shows up on a donkey. And this is definitely not our king. Like, they're confused. Everyone leaves him. Because he's trying to point people through the sign to the Jesus. Not so that he is the bread king, but that he is the living bread. See, living bread like manna in the Old Testament is something they had to depend on every single day. If he was just bread king, he would be good maybe for this battle. But after that battle, what would they need him for? So this is discouraging and painful. He has to leave these people. Not only that, he has to sneak his disciples away. Because after he does this miracle that everyone's excited about, he notices they're about, they're about to try and make me leader over something and there's going to be a nationalistic uprising so he back and there's three times he gets away to pray so he sends his disciples away and he goes away to pray and every time he sneaks away to pray on his own it's because whatever group he's in is about to make him king of something that he's not so he's 
he ends up having to step away from people who have an appetite that Jesus would fit well into. Does that make sense? So does that still happen? Just think about it, right? And I'm not here to destroy the prosperity gospel, even though I would not hate it if it was destroyed. (laughs) Think about that. Is that grounded in Jesus, right? If our God is only concerned about us prospering, there is no room for a death on the cross. There's no room for that. And the, the, the scariest part about that is that everything given to us comes through the cross. Everything. Everything is not given to us just because he's king. That's a beautiful thing. And he truly is king above kings and lord above lords. But he's also a prince of peace. And this version of the gospel, the nationalistic uprising, that we're going to get this sector of the government to now come and destroy this sector, leaves a bunch of dead people. And he didn't come to kill people. He came to be prince of peace. He came to take all the appetites and swallow them and then show us appetites that we didn't know were in us and then satisfy them. He is the manna. He provides daily. And so this is what it looks like. It looks like a bunch of guys that he gathers around him that follow him everywhere that are clueless all the time. And the cluelessness is so vital because at any moment, if any one of them think they figured it out, they write a book and they start signing stuff at Barnes and Noble, which isn't even around anymore. So they're all right. Is it still around? It's still around. So he creates this kind of new spirituality, which is grounded in a deeper hunger that is dependent daily on him. He is our daily bread. He is the manna from heaven. They don't even know what it manna meant. What is this? And then in chapter 4, we hear now their translation is, who is this? So at least they're like, it's gone from what to who. And now he's saying to them, this is a sign, guys. This, what I'm doing here, I'm not... He's not going to create a a spirituality where his whole ministry is, find me 5,000 people and we'll do some bread. That's the bread king. What if we are all serving the bread? We're not serving the bread king still today. If that's the version of, if it ends there and he stays with them and they're like, you're coming with us. You're going to be king. We're about to wipe folks out. None of us are serving Jesus right now. None of us. But if he senses in his heart that the people and what they crave in him isn't what they actually need, he will distance himself. That's scary. That's theologically hard. But he does that. And then he leaves them. And you got to imagine, like, they've all eaten. It's probably like 8 p.m. now. And they're like, all right, what, what do you guys want to do? I don't know. Should we go back home? I don't know. There's not light yet. We can't really turn anything on. So maybe let's just head home. Like, think about how different it would have been if Jesus would have been like, let's do this, guys. Whatever your idea is, let's do it. Right? And this is why I think, like, Needing God community around you is so important because some of your ideas are really bad, <laughs> really bad, especially the ones that involve you being the most important person in your life, which is pretty much like 90% of our ideas and, and pretty much in our society, what we've been given, like be the best you, uh, succeed, right? Like follow your heart. All those things like lead us to this place where we are the centerpiece of our story. Jesus will always need to be the centerpiece of your story. You wouldn't choose that, though. So he guides you along in such a way that daily you're like, Jesus, like, look at what we have, man. We're, we're here because we were getting away to be in a quiet place, and all of a sudden there's 5,000 people here, and you want us to feed them. Are you serious? What, what are we going to do, Jesus? This is stupid. That's what they're saying to him. 
but probably all of them together. And he's like, what do you have? They're like, we got five loaves and two, whatever. We'll give it to them. Sometimes that's all we get. And it doesn't make sense. But you still have to choose to follow him. You still have to choose him over logic. And that is manna. And he promises that in every situation he will give us what we need. So we don't have to make our own decisions because we're afraid he won't show up. We continue to follow him in what he's doing. And we don't see the connections of what he's doing in these stories. He didn't come to be bread king. And it's all growing towards this climax here in a little bit that shows what kind of king he will be, but that nobody would choose. If you could pull up John, I'm sorry, if you could pull up Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then if you can pull up the next passage, 651. This is, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This is actually a sermon he preached where everybody left him. And you all know that. It didn't make sense, right? So these people had to look at this when it was, before they understood what we understood. And these disciples had to sit around him and basically, you're going to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Remove Jesus from every part of your context. Any leader that ever stands up in front of you and says that, you're not giving them another four minutes. Like Anybody that ever said that to me, I'd be like, uh, you're a pretty charismatic guy. I mean, you've evidently got something going for you, but you just told me to eat your flesh and drink your blood, so I'm going to be walking away now. This is not going to work out for us. The only thing that kept these guys in with him is that over time they had seen something in him that was more true than even reality. And they had to choose before we did to believe it before it happened. So kudos to the disciples, right? Like, let's clap for them. Amen? Nobody? Just me? So, all this is going towards showing them that he's going to swallow all the appetites. But, I didn't even plan for this, but in our appetites for what he has to be, if we don't let him swallow all of our appetites that maybe aren't about him, he will let us continue in those appetites. And if he steps away from us, it's not because he doesn't love us, but because we just wouldn't understand it. And we need space. And so for you, this is hard for American Christians to label our appetites for what they really are. This group would not have understood. They would have said, do you not see, Jesus, that you can totally do what we need? He was useful for them. He was a useful tool to accomplish their goals. He would not be a useful tool. He will not be a useful tool. He will be the only tool. I, just called, I didn't just call Jesus a tool. Lord, forgive me. You are the living bread. And he promises that when we depend fully on him and give all of our appetites to him, we will be satisfied. Now, please hear me. That may mean that you never will have a million dollars. But you might have a million heart dollars. And that's more important, right? I'm going to be honest with you guys. When we stepped away from making a good amount of money as youth pastors to make no money 
working in a factory with youth that I led, sweating because it was 100 degrees and they didn't even have a fan in there. The humility that that was like for me was the most beautiful gift I had ever received or received from God. We made like sixteen, eighteen thousand dollars in one year totally. I still think it was the best year of our life, and they're going to get better, right? Amen. It's this is another one of our appetites that he has to swallow up to show your appetites aren't even correct. That's why he sent the Israelites into a desert to cleanse appetites, the appetites of slavery. A lot of us carry these appetites of slavery thinking, I've got to have this, I've got to be this, I've got to do this. You don't. And when he cleanses you of those appetites and becomes your living bread, he trains your senses again to now crave different things. It's more satisfying. It's like the woman at the well being at the well in John 4 with buckets, came there to take buckets away, meets Jesus. Jesus prophesies to her, leaves buckets without water, goes away full. That's what happens when Jesus becomes our living water, when Jesus becomes the manna from heaven, bread of life. Jesus is the bread that daily is given to us. And he's not going to give you enough that it will spoil. He's going to give you enough to throw yourself each morning upon him. These people weren't ready yet. The disciples were. The disciples got to be in on being sent away. Like the secret mission, Jesus was like, hey guys, I'm going to send you away in a boat. That's all we have. There's no cars. Get in the boat. Why are we going away? These guys are about to mount up. They're going to want to make me king. He sends them away, takes care of them. That's probably a fun little boat ride, except for later when it gets stormy. And that's a little scary because they think they see Jesus as a ghost, and that's interesting. He sends them away, and then he has to stand in front of the crowd and basically, like, back down. I'm going to be stepping away now, guys. I'm going to be doing some other things. I know you want me to be king. It's not time for that. I don't, it doesn't say what he said, but think about what you say to 5,000 plus people to make them not make you king. I don't know. He has the wisdom to do that, and then he transitions, right? So for me and you and our society and our culture and our families, right, what are your appetites? It's not bad to have the wrong ones. It's good to be with the right person when you have the wrong ones. It's good to be with the right king when you have the wrong ones. It's good to say... How am I supposed to do this? You just told me, to, like, this, this can be a literal prayer of yours. Jesus, what are you, what are you asking me to do? If you, don't, if you didn't notice, this is impossible, right? You're asking me to do something impossible. And him saying, well, what do you have? Well, I got this. I got $11 in my bank. I've got a family. I enjoy athletics. Um, not super outgoing. I like to be alone. This is my conversation with him as we were planning a church. I'm an introvert. Um, I'm nervous around people who are smart. Um, well, who cares? Do you want me to go with you? I would enjoy that if you went with me, Jesus. I'd probably like it more if you went with me. Um, let's see what, see what happens with me using everything I gave you. You're going to have to depend on me daily. Um, it's not going to make sense. And it'll be better than whatever you want to do. And it'll be enough, and you'll be satisfied, and you won't crave other things if you let me retrain your senses. That's what he's trying to do here. All through the book of Mark, he's trying to throw people through the sign to Jesus so that their dependence is on him, not on a thing. That's, that's this story in a nutshell. Is this Jesus enough to be your bread daily? If he removes your house this week, if he takes away your family this week, if he empties your bank account this week, if he tells you to move to Guam this week, is he enough? Is he enough? 
Is he enough? If it doesn't make sense, is he enough? Manna from heaven. What is this? That's literally what manna means. What is this? That's a question. If you're following Jesus, that should probably happen daily. What is this? Well, this is what it is. Now I need you to depend on me. All right, let's do it. Whatever you need me to do, I'll do. I'll do it. It's going to be hard and scary. People are going to be looking at me funny, but I'm, I'm going to do it. Does that make sense? It's good stuff. So, do you all close your eyes? Father, this is just really encouraging to me, Jesus. And as I've read these, these passages in Mark over and over again, I keep seeing that you keep challenging our Christology, the way we see you. You keep tapping into how do you see me? Your conversations with everyone are what do you see me as? What am I? Am I a tool for what you're trying to do in life? Are you trying to add me to a thing that you'd like to accomplish? Or am I your living bread that when you wake up, give me this day my daily bread every morning? That's what I want to be for you. This is just him, I believe, praying over you. I want to be what you need when you wake up. I want to satisfy your thirsts and your hungers. So I'm just going to pray an imaginary prayer over you. Everyone with your eyes closed. If you just happen to have, like all of us do, an appetite that's not from him, that's insatiable, and you desire it to be filled so much, I just want to ask that you would do what it says in Romans 12 and present it before him as a living sacrifice so that it can be consumed by him. And I pray that you would taste and see the new manna which swallows all other appetites but satisfies in a way that makes you forget about all other appetites. That gives you identity. That makes you free. That breaks every chain. And that invites you into an army that doesn't harm people but fight for people. Jesus, today, we ask that you would be our manna. I'm going to pray this too. This is maybe just me being funky, but with your spiritual eyes open in your heart, keep your natural eyes closed, I just want you to imagine Jesus walking over to you and giving you bread. Let that happen. And as he's handing you bread, I pray that he would just tattoo in your mind that the bread he's giving you is just bread and to look past that bread up his arm to see him. He is what you need daily. He isn't the bread king. He is the bread of life. Jesus, that you would satisfy our deepest hearts, souls, desires, and that we would throw ourselves on you continually. We thank you that you love us so well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you guys could please stand, and you guys are already up here. Thank you for transitioning up here. We're going to have just a few moments today where if you would just like to respond, and here's what I mean by this. There's no pressure to receive prayer. It's For me, it's one of those things, do I, do I want prayer? Do I need prayer? And if I do, it just makes sense, right? So we're going to have prayer people spread across the front spots and they're going to lead us in a song so I ask that as you're in your seats this is not the time we're departing yet that you would give the Lord space to speak to your heart so father as we collectively communally create space for you to speak to us as dad 
as king, even as friend, it says in the scriptures, as creator. I just want to give you this picture too. We dedicated Sloan today to God. But he sees us the way that we saw Sloan. He sees each of us that way. We're his creation. We're all kind of in the same boat. We're all probably babies that need a father's love, that need a father's care. And he would love to develop you knowing that he's a great parent before he asks you to do anything. So, Father, just stir the waters of our hearts. Open us up to receive more of you. And for these next few moments, help us to remain in this room and to remain steady on focusing on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If anyone needs prayer, you can receive it. Let me just pray this over you. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom the glory forever and ever. Amen. And Father, I pray a blessing over all of our people as they go, that they would be the light as they leave. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you all. Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.